This is Brett Halpern. Uh, this is a solo mission today, but welcome to Section 247 Sports Show. Um, as uh, I just alluded to, unfortunately, the doc uh, is unable to uh, record this week. I'm tied up. Everything's okay. Don't worry. Nothing to be alarmed about. Uh, sorry we were not uh, able to get with you earlier in the week, but we still wanted to be able to produce content. So you're stuck with me, Brett Halpern. Uh, for both an MMA show as well as a football show this week. Uh, looking into, at both reviewing some note, news and notes in both the league as well as the UFC, and then later on regarding um, the weekend to come. So anyways, as I said, welcome to the Section 247 Sports Show. We're delighted you are listening to us. We're bringing the worlds of our goal line stand and in the fight show together. So... It is a pleasure to have all of you. Um, and as always, we are a Sports Talk Philly partner, sportstalkphilly.com. We are you know, thrilled to be on Sportswire Radio. Again, shout out to Tommy Bryce. Fantastic work. We're very happy and excited to be a part of the growing family of Sportswire Radio. As always, we are brought to you by Michael's Glass, the premier Glass Company in the Delaware Valley region, 215-338-3293. Please tell them that Mike and Brett sent you. Um, if you are hungry, we all like to eat. We all like good food. You know where you can get not only good food, but fantastic food in a elegant, uh, with elegant ambiance. You can get it at DePaul's Table, 7 East Lancaster Avenue, the heart of Ardmore, fantastic location, amazing food, depaulstable.com. You go there, please ask for the owner, Anthony, one of the most special human beings out there. Please tell them Mike and Brett sent you. It is a fantastic place. You will enjoy it. They are winning awards. They are getting recognized on lists. They're attracting celebrities. It's fantastic. Where can you find us? Uh, the show at Section 247 Sports. Um, that is our new social media. It is on Instagram, Twitter. So th again, the worlds of the goal line stand and in the fight show, we have brought them together. Um, in the words of George Costanza, worlds are colliding, but they're not colliding. They're joining. This is a good thing. <laughs> so, um, you know, with that said, let us get into, I think we're going to start in the world of combat sports today. So first to recap, one of the things, we recapped UFC 266 earlier in the week uh, on our Monday show. However, the thing that we had purposely left off and we're going to discuss later in the week, so I'm going to do it now, was the other huge event to take place this past Saturday, which was the heavyweight championship boxing fight which took place in, from a UK fans, I hope I get the pronunciation correct, Tottenham. You're not supposed to pronounce the H, apparently. Tottenham Hotspurs Stadium, I believe, in London, England, uh, was an absolutely fantastic setting. The fight between Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk. Um, in, in the end, it was a huge upset. Alexander Usyk defeated Anthony Joshua via unanimous decision 117-112, 116-112, and 115-113 to win the WBA, the IBF, the WBO, and IBO heavyweight titles. As I said, previewing the bout, we have yet to uh, crown 
the in the fight heavyweight boxing champion. Uh, perhaps we will wait to see how all things play out while the fury. And then perhaps at some point there will be uh, a fight between the two different champions. Nevertheless, again, first, let me talk about the setting. This was just an amazing crowd. Uh, I believe Tottenham holds about 75,000. Uh, I believe it's a little smaller than Wembley, but I do remember, and this is actually calling on my football knowledge, American football, that is. The New York Giants played in that stadium, I believe, the first year it opened. And there were some had commented that even though it's smaller than Wembley, it actually is a larger uh, stadium, or excuse me, a louder stadium than Wembley. And it was just such a fantastic environment. Really thought it was cool. Anthony Joshua came out to No Easy Way Out, which and I have to do a very quick side tangent for those who have not seen um, Sylvester Stallone during the pandemic undertook a project to re-release Rocky four in a director's cut. It's going to feature uh, unseen footage. So there's several scenes that we know were the initial trailer that never made it to the actual movie, including one where I believe Rocky goes to try to get the bout with Ivan Drago sanctioned. And there's going to be all different camera angle footage. So the, the, the movie is going to look entirely different. The trailer for that was re released yesterday, and it looks fantastic. I believe it's coming out November 10th in theaters, and then November 11th, it's going to be available on demand, online, whatever. So excited about that. We're de Mike and I are definitely going to be talking about that in the future. Okay, with that said, back to the fight. It was an absolutely fantastic fight. I would say Usyk... You know, going in, I was worried that Usyk would not be able to withstand the power of Joshua. I think it's notable that Joshua showed up for this fight 11 pounds heavy, or excuse me, lighter than he ever has before. Nevertheless, Usyk was just in and out, put a pace on Joshua in the early rounds, was able to, as a southpaw, was able to land a lot of straight lefts and left-hand leads and was constantly in the pocket, but busy in the pocket to the point where Joshua really didn't know what to do. Um, Joshua did sort of settle down, found some success in the middle rounds, but then, and I think Usyk at that point, he, he had sort of lost a little bit of his win, but then later on, Usyk had gained a second win, and literally the fight ended with Anthony Joshua on the ropes about to get knocked down. So it was it was an action-packed fight. It was a strategic fight. There was great boxing. There was great skill. There was you know, determination. And we have Alexander Usyk, who's a former cruiserweight, undisputed, and unified champion, uh, who has successfully gone up, and now he is the uh, multiple heavyweight champion. He obviously does not have the lineal belt, nor does he have uh, uh, Tyson Fury's belt which we'll be previewing Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder 3, the rubber match, the trilogy match next week because that takes place next Saturday. Fantastic fight, though, and really sent shockwaves throughout the um, the boxing world, obviously at, least, at minimum the heavyweight division. In terms of what's next, Anthony Joshua has already said he has plans to invoke his mandatory rematch clause, and... So, you know, Usyk's going to have to beat him twice in order to get to the promised land of a fight with the Wilder Fury winner. 
that's very that's a very tall order. I think there are a lot of things that Joshua can improve upon, but Usyk is definitely game. And even in spite of whatever happens, whoever ends up fighting the Wilder Fury winner, I can't wait for Usyk Joshua too. So that was really fantastic. Some other boxing news. Who knows if this sticks? Who knows if this is a Conor McGregor kind of announcement? But Manny Pacquiao did announce his retirement. We'll see if that stands. Obviously, he has a lot of political aspirations. He is obviously older. I, I don't know yet if this is a legitimate announcement. Um, I'm going to wait. I have yet I have yet to speak to the hired gun, Zach Messner, about this. So I want to get his take on that before I comment further. So this week on Dana White's Contender Series, going back to the MMA world, uh, only two people earned contracts. Daniel Zellhuber, uh, a lightweight, who defeated Lucas Almeida via unanimous decision. And then you know, the, all the fighters in this card were foreign. So please forgive the pronunciations. And then Ihor uh, Potiera defeated Lukas Sudowski. He's a light heavyweight. I was very impressed with him. He defeated Sudowski uh, via TKO, three minutes, 41 seconds in round one. Looks very good. Um, there are tons of news and notes in the MMA world that we didn't get to earlier this week. And one thing that did occur last week that we did not discuss, first and foremost, I believe, most important uh, or the largest bit of news in the MMA world was the arrest of John Jones. So Thursday evening, John Jones was actually inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame for his UFC 165 light heavyweight title fight against Alexander Gustafson, where he successfully defended his championship. It was one of the best fights of all time. Uh, so he was in Vegas for that. Friday morning, he was arrested and charged with misdemeanor battery domestic violence and felony injury and tampering with a vehicle. Since the initial arrest, TMZ, who per the police report, uh, the incident report, which is filed after the arrest, uh, apparently, John Jones's fiance, who is the mother to his children, came down to the security desk of Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas uh, late at night and was accompanied by one of her and John Jones' children. And she's claimed that she needed a key to get back in the room, but was afraid to go to the room. And she and, and the child asked if they could if someone could call the police. Apparently, upon arrival, the police first found John Jones outside of the establishment. When they saw John Jones's fiance, she had a swollen lip. When they um, went into the hotel room, she claimed that the only thing John Jones did was pull her hair. She did. She said that he did not touch her otherwise. However, they did find blood on the sheets and blood in the room which is very disturbing. Um, then upon arresting John Jones, John Jones headbutted the police vehicle, leaving a dent. And that's where you get the felony injury and tampering with a vehicle charge. This is obviously incredibly concerning. Um, look, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. The evidence does suggest that there may have been um, additional domestic violence, the fact that his own child is, you know, got to the point and said, look, call the police. You know, you worry about the traumatic 
the traumatization uh, of his children to have to kind of witness that and be in a home filled with abuse and violence. It's just, just terrible all the way around. I don't know what the answer is. Do you, do you cut John Jones? Well, cutting John Jones sort of, you can't implement a code of conduct because we've talked about this before. The UFC has to maintain the independent contractor status of these athletes. Otherwise, it's an employer-employee status, at which point they can unionize. And so you can't control them completely. And so, therefore, a code of conduct is really not going to work. Now, can you just cut them and say, look, this is not appropriate? Absolutely. And, John, look, it's clear that John Jones needs help. You know, the thing is, if you cut him, obviously you are – hurting his ability to earn money, but also you're you're hurting his family because they rely upon him to earn said money. So I don't know if that's the answer as well. Uh, it's clear he needs professional help. The, the next day he took to Instagram and posted a story with some crappy music behind it. He's bench pressing and he's like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I, I alcohol is the devil. I can't, you know, interact with it anymore. I mean, it was... It really paid short shrift to the seriousness of his actions, and it was really disgusting. You know, the other argument is that uh, combat sports like boxing and mixed martial arts is sort of the land of misfits. And, you know, it's some people would, you know, coin the red light district of sports. That's why you have people like Greg Hardy and, you know, in boxing, there are so many uh, shady figures regarding that. So why not just... Um, you know, you know, why not just, um, allow them to, you know, earn a living and this is, it's the fight game. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I do know that if guilty, this is deplorable behavior. He needs help. I worry for him and his family because it also seems like an escalation. This can't end good unless there is some kind of intervention legally, psychiatrically, whatever. Um, so most importantly, I hope for the safety of his wife, his children, innocent bystanders, even John Jones, that something comes of this. Um, I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, we'd be interested to hear from you. So please comment, you know, uh, wherever you can find us on our um, our podcast, you know, we're available on all, all uh, platforms. So I'd be really interested to hear what people think regarding this. Um, so that was the biggest news of the last week or so. Scheduling news. This week has been one of the busiest weeks with respect to scheduling uh, of fights. And so I'm just going to sort of run down what's going on. So UFC 267 has been shaken up. The co-main event was initially scheduled to be the bantamweight title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yam. Aljamain Sterling, uh, after his disqualification victory over Peter Yan, underwent surgery uh, regarding back and neck issues, and he has actually been unable to gain medical clearance to fight for UFC 267. So because of that, there is now an interim title fight which has been booked between Peter Yan and Corey Sandhagen. Now, this is, I believe, one of the first, or it could be the first title fight, interim or undisputed, in which 
the both challengers are coming off a loss for the fight. Now, Peter Yan obviously had a disqualification loss. Corey Sand, Sandhagen had the razor uh, thin split decision loss to TJ Dillashaw. TJ Dillashaw probably would have gotten the fight. The problem is that TJ Dillashaw was uh, and is injured. So he was unable to compete at UFC 267. Nevertheless, this is a fantastic fight. Very much looking forward to it. Can't wait to break it down as the fight approaches. And it's going to be October 30th coming from Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi. Then the featured bout of the card was scheduled to be Rafael Dos Anjos against Islam Makhachev. Uh, Makhachev, excuse me. And once again, RDA pulled out of the fight. And fortunately, we do have a replacement, and the replacement is Dan Hooker, who is an absolute savage, who's coming out of his UFC 266 victory this past weekend over Nazrat Hack Parist, um, and is now going to be taking on Islam Makhachev um, in a month. And what's also crazy is due to the the travel restrictions emanating from New Zealand, it was incredibly difficult for Hooker to even get to the U.S. Now I believe he's just going to Abu Dhabi straight. And this is also resulting in city kickboxing, the camp that has Dan Hooker, that has Brad Riddell, and most famously Israel Adesanya. They they have announced that they are looking into moving to the United States, at least for the foreseeable future during the pandemic because of the uh, restrictions that New Zealand places on all citizens regarding travel. So, you know, credit to Dan Hooker, who is going to be away from his family, is stepping up on short notice to fight a guy who many believe is the future champion of the division. It's going to be a fantastic fight, saving, you know, the card. Very appreciative for that. So, the October 16th fight night gets a new main event. Uh, the new main event will be Holly Holm against Norma Dumont, a feather women's featherweight bout. The reason is because Misha Tate was forced, forced to withdraw from the fight uh, against Ketlin Vieira due to COVID. Fortunately, she's doing well. That is now the main event of the November 20th fight card. Also, November 13th fight night, we have the rebooking of the Max holloway Yair Rodriguez fight which is going to be a fantastic fight. I still think Holloway should simply just fight uh, Alex Volkanovsky in the trilogy fight. I think he will get past Gary Rodriguez, but one never knows. That's the craziness of the fight game. On December 4th, we have main event, a fantastic bantamweight main event of Rob Font against Jose Aldo, which is just fantastic uh, matchmaking. I think if Font wins, he's probably in line for a title shot depending upon Aljamain Sterling's health, depending upon TJ Dillashaw's health, but he's right in the mix. And Jose Aldo still is also right in the mix. He's done very well lately. Another great Bantam. Actually, there are now two Bantamweight fights that have been booked for UFC 269 on December 11th. We have Pedro Munoz taking on former WEC and UFC Bantamweight champ Dominic Cruz. And as announced, um, I think just merely a few hours ago, Sean O'Malley will be taking on uh, Halion Paiva. Uh, to Paiva, obviously not as well known as, as Sugar Sean O'Malley, but a very talented prospect and, you know, very much, I think, a very entertaining fight and a step up in competition for Sean O'Malley. So looking forward to both of those as UFC 269 looks to be another very stacked card. On December 18th, 
Philadelphia's finest, Chris Dacus, who we are actually trying to get uh, for an interview, uh, hopefully either now prior to the fight or after the fight. Uh, we're, we're working on that diligently. Uh, we'll be taking on Derek Lewis. This is a huge step up in competition for him, but one that is well-deserved coming off his victory of Shamil Abdurahimov at UFC 266. I think that's a fantastic matchup. And lastly, at UFC 270, which will be in January, Derek Brunson will be taking on Jared Cannonier in what will most likely be a title, a number one contender fight, title eliminator at middleweight. Excellent fight. So what is coming up this weekend in the world of MMA? Well, actually, in the merely a few hours, I will be watching it later this evening on delay. We have Bellator 267 emanating from Wembley Arena in London, England, the main event being Douglas Lima versus Michael Venom Page 2. The first fight ended in a Douglas Lima knockout of MVP, and this is a very interesting interesting fight. I think MVP's MMA game, you know, obviously he's known as a striker. I do believe it has come along. Douglas Lima is still one of the best welterweights in the world. I think this will be a more competitive fight. I wouldn't be surprised if this is more of a later round stoppage um, if it doesn't go to decision. But very much looking forward to that fight. The rest of the card, uh, I think, is a little thin, but that is an excellent main event. On Saturday, we have UFC Vegas 38, which is headlined by a very intriguing light heavyweight matchup. That matchup being Tiago Santos, former title challenger against former i i always feel like every division kind of has their it guy who they believe was the next big thing and for the light heavyweight division for a moment at least it was johnny walker who's still you know ranked and this is a very interesting fight uh, i you know tiago santos is coming off several losses he's still not the same guy since he fought john jones and completely obliterated his knee johnny walker needs to have a more well-rounded game he needs to have a better management of his cardio and risk assessment during fights, but is first off, I mean, he's six foot five. He's unbelievably athletic is he, he, he exhibits creativity, the likes of a young John Jones. I'm not saying he's John Jones. A lot of people thought he was, he obviously doesn't have the wrestling or the grappling, but it's, he's just a, he's a fascinating fighter. I'm really interested to see. I think the UFC, if you ask them, you know, off the record, I think they would prefer a Johnny Walker win. I don't know. This is a very tough out uh, for him. Tiago Santos is as tough as they come. So we shall see. Walker has the size advantage, but I would give the cardio and chin advantage to Tiago Santos. Other fights of interest. Well, we talked about one uh, Dawkins brother earlier. In the co-main, we have Kyle Dawkins against Kevin Holland. Very tough matchup for Dawkins, although I think definitely winnable. Uh, I think he would need to have uh, really good top control. That obviously seems to be Kevin Holland's weakness. We know that Dawkins is a very good grappler. Uh, on the feet, I think he could run into some problems, but this is it's still a winnable fight for him and very interesting. And also we have a rebooked um, fight from earlier in the fall and unfortunately fell out. This is an important women's bantamweight fight. Uh, Macy Shazan against Aspen Ladd. Uh, very much looking forward to that. I think the winner of that could also become a very viable title challenger 
for Amanda Nunez if they don't go the route of the Amanda Nunez Valentina Shevchenko trilogy fight. In the prelims, two fights I'm really looking forward to. Jared Gordon against Joe Selecki should be an action-packed bout. This is the quote-unquote main event of the prelims. And then Casey O'Neill is fighting Valentina Shevchenko's younger sister, Antonina. I'm always very intrigued by Antonina. She has she exhibits great skill, but then doesn't just she just doesn't quite have the well-roundedness of her sister. But nevertheless, she's younger. I want to see if perhaps she's able to take the next step. So I think it's a very interesting card coming up, UFC Vegas 38. Um, and, and really looking forward to that. So with that said, let us turn our attention now to the football world. And first, uh we we're yet to address it, unfortunately, for uh, our for the Philadelphia Eagle fans out there. The Philadelphia Eagles were defeated by the Dallas Cowboys uh, on Monday night, Monday night football, and it was not very competitive. And I think it showed that Dallas was the. Dallas is, excuse me, the class of the division, defeating the Eagles 41 to 21. I mean, I think at some point in the first half, we had the the Cowboys ran more plays than the Eagles had or had more for excuse me, the Cowboys had more first downs than the Eagles had plays. They dominated the time of possession. They're, you know, they were essentially able to move the ball without any um without much effort. Uh, both, you know, the ground game, both Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard had good games. Dak Prescott was fantastic. Uh, C, you know, CD Lamb was firing in all cylinders. Mark Cooper had a quiet night, but still, you know, you had uh, Dalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin. You're getting contribution almost everywhere. And then defensively, the Cowboys really are exhibiting a lot of the, their defense is far improved from last year. And they're doing it with a lot of big names out. And you have Micah Parsons, who is just, you know, looking fantastic, and Trayvon Diggs as well. To me, I think Dallas is going to run away with the division. I'm sorry to say, guys, look, I'm a Giant fan. Those listening are Giant fans or Eagle fans. It's just it is what it is. Now, the the good news is I do believe Dallas is the class of the division. I don't yet believe they are a Super Bowl contender. I think they are probably the third to fifth best team in the NFC, and it would take a, an elite performance and, and, and timing to hit on all, you know, timing and, and everything to hit on all strides for them to somehow find their way into the Super Bowl. I, there are better teams out there, but we should all, you know, really watch out. They are, they are talented and they're playing very well. Dan Quinn has that defense doing really well. I mean, guys like uh, Osa Digizua, who I found, you know, I, I thought in the draft process was really just this tweener, undersized defensive tackle making serious contributions. As I mentioned, Micah Parsons, they're getting contributions from rookies, which is one of the telltale signs of a team that's going to do well. So we shall see. Um, nevertheless, you know, from the Eagles' perspective, I think the offensive line – you know, performance was a little off. You know, we had there was obviously the injury to Jordan Mailata, which had Andre Dillard play. You had Isaac Sayamalo go down. 
Lander Dickerson, I thought, could have played better. But again, he's still a rookie coming off an ACL injury. And then, to me, the biggest issue, even though you were down early, the fact that uh, Sirianni made no attempt to establish the running game. I talked about this. I don't know if it was last week or the week before. To me, if you want to talk about if an e- when the Eagles win, I believe, the key to success is making Miles Sanders your your, your bell cow. Get him 20 to – I really am a Miles Sanders fan. I'm a believer in him. And, and he's just – he's non-existent in their, in their scheme right now, you know, and in their play calling. And to me, if I was an Eagles fan, I'd be incredibly frustrated with that. Uh, you know, in terms of Jalen Hurts play, it's he makes wow plays and then he makes he, he some of his most basic throws are Aaron throws and that's concerning you know one of the things I I don't know if you can teach accuracy I think I don't you know I don't know I will say J- Josh Allen entered the league and they said he was the least accurate of all those quarterbacks in the 2018 draft and he's doing very well so could Jalen Hurts improve upon that absolutely and if there's a guy who's going to work tirelessly to do that it is Jalen Hurts so with that said I think that there is an opportunity for growth but I thought you saw a lot of the drawbacks of him as a passer on Monday night you know in terms of the receiver play it was decent uh you know I I, Devonta Smith is good Jalen Rager good you know Greg Ward had a nice catch for a touchdown and it's a young team. Like obviously Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, just that's as good of a tight end tandem as you're going to get. And there's talent. It's young. You know, I mean, it's amazing. You look at right now, particularly if Carson Wentz continues to play on those injured ankles, you know, the Eagles might end up with three picks in the top 10 uh, of the draft next year. So, Again, you have to look at the long approach, and it's tough to do that, right? I, look, I'm a Giant fan. I understand that. It's it's tough to exercise patience, but, uh, you know, I still think that the Eagles are going to be in good shape long-term. Long Cap's situation is going to improve. There's young pieces around there. Javon Hargrave is playing fantastic. I think you see, though, particularly the back seven of the defense, you, you see sort of the lack of talent, you know, to me. Linebackers may not be as pivotal a position as they once were, but without linebackers, you're not going to be able to stop the run. A lot of the intermediate throwing, uh, passing, excuse me, uh, it just becomes sort of a free-for-all. And I thought you saw a lot of times the Eagles lacking, and we've talked about the linebacker core being a concern. So moving forward, what's in the news and notes? Well, the Chicago Bears uh, have actually purchased property in Arlington Heights, Illinois now, which is making the move from Soldier Field to a new stadium in Arlington Heights, Illinois, that much more likely. We discussed this, I think, about a month and a half ago during the summer. Look, you know, obviously there's great affinity for Soldier Field. But, you know, keep in mind, the Bears used to play Wrigley Field back in the day. Arlington Heights, this is not like, at least for my understanding, I've been to Chicago once. And for all, uh, all our Chicago listeners, A, we appreciate your support. B, you know, feel free to comment. Let us know. Um, but my understanding, Arlington Heights is, is, you know, really in the immediate Chicago area and actually very close to O'Hare. Also, I believe the stadium is literally going to be along this, uh, you know, a train stop, you know, in their metro train station system. So to me, I, I'm, I'm not offended by this. It, it makes sense. I think the, you know, we 
we've I've read about and we've talked about that Soldier Field is limited because of the keeping the outer shell. They couldn't build any more. Also, from a parking perspective, it's it's difficult because it's in the midst of, of a park system. So I, I think it'd be perfectly fine to be out in Arlington Heights. You know, 10 miles I'm okay with, you know. Where San Francisco, you know, they're down in Santa Clara. That's like a 45 mile. That's a little different. Um, you know, Buffalo is not in, in Buffalo City proper. It's in Orchard Park. To me, that's perfectly fine. So, you know, I, I don't think people need to be up in arms about this. So in terms of this week, uh, you know, for Philadelphia, you um, things aren't going to get much easier. Uh, you're hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. First and foremost, uh, very happy to hear that Andy Reid was released from the hospital on Monday. Um, so he was just simply treated for dehydration. Doesn't look like there were any other issues. Obviously, we all wish Andy Reid the best. Uh, and it looks like he's doing well. It looks like he's on track to be coaching this weekend. Look, this is going to be a difficult matchup for Philadelphia. I think it would behoove Philadelphia to establish a run game. This is a defense you can run against. This is not a great defense. There's there's a reason that Kansas City has been sloppy with the ball and lost two close games. They could easily be 3-0. and uh, They could easily also be 0-3, though, because they were very close to losing that Brown game. So the point is, I think you need to keep Patrick Mahomes off the field. I think we would all agree upon that, because particularly against the Philadelphia defense, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, I think should have a lot of success. But if they're not on the field and if you're able to control the clock, you might be able to sneak out a victory or keep it close at least. But you're not going to do that if you're not running the ball. Give Miles Sanders the rock, you know? And you can't just rely upon Jalen Hurts to run the ball because he's also going to get hurt. And that's going to hurt his de- – he's not going to develop as much in a sling on the sideline. So that's my take with the Kansas City-Philadelphia game. It's obvious – we all know it's an uphill battle, but – you know, get, go out there, give it your best shot, put your best foot forward. Let's see what happens. I, I think this Kansas City team is a flawed team. That defense is – it's not a championship defense. They fixed the offensive line, they, but in doing so, somehow they've now let the defense lapse. So I, I think that they, in terms of their Super Bowl aspirations, I think they have a lot of issues. Speaking of the Super Bowl, it has been announced the halftime show – uh, is going to be consist of Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, and Mary J. Blige. All artists that I very much enjoy. Uh, I can't really speak for Mike on that. I think um, I think Mike likes some of them. Uh, it's it's very interesting to see. That, I mean, this is definitely the first halftime show, which is going to be, you know, um, dare I say, like hip-hop centric. Uh, but I think it should be a really good show based upon location. It kind of made sense to have Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg being the Super Bowl, being Inglewood. So looking forward to that. Be interesting. Um, you know, some of the it's hit, the halftime shows are hit and miss, right? Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the weekend, the, the artist, as well as, you know, weekends in general. Uh, but I didn't think the, uh, the audio was not very good. I couldn't hear him. Uh, so that was an issue there. So uh, to, again, go back to this weekend, the good old New York Giants will be traveling down to play the New Orleans Saints. It will be the Saints' first true home game 
in the Superdome. So I imagine it'll be an emotional game. It'll also be very, the fans will probably be in an absolute frenzy to welcome home their team, which really bodes well for the super talented New York Giants. It looks like the Giants are going to be without Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard, further limiting an offense, which is uh, an absolutely antiquated offense run by Jason Garrett, which we talked about. Uh, of note during the week, the Giants actually have signed uh, former 2020 first-round pick Isaiah Wilson to the practice squad. Uh, a lot of people are up in arms about this, saying, oh, it shows that Joe Judge is not about culture and whatever. I guess the idea, though, is that the culture might help bring a troubled guy along. So for those that don't know, Isaiah Wilson, who is from Brooklyn, played a poly prep high school, uh, the home of uh, – actually, my cousin played there, was a lacrosse star, and also – uh, in a football-related world, Lyle Alzado, so those of you who might know him, he was one of the top recruits in the nation, went to Georgia, was a teammate of Andrew Thomas's. Andrew Thomas was the left tackle. Isaiah Wilson was the right tackle. Isaiah Wilson drafted in the first round by Tennessee Titans. During the summer, remember this is last summer with COVID and everything else, I believe he snuck out and went to a party. He had a lot of issues and you know, was eventually cut by the Titans. Then the Dolphins signed him, and once again, he, you know, was acting out and was cut by them. He recently made a statement, I believe it was on Instagram, saying that he sort of turned his life around, he's matured. So the Giants are giving him a chance and putting him on the practice squad, at least for now. So to me, this is low risk, uh, high reward. If it works out, if you know, if he acts up, you cut him. Otherwise, he, from a talent perspective, he might already be, other than maybe Andrew Thomas, who exhibited in college, he's already probably the second most talented lineman they have. Um, the Giants are also, looks like they're going to be without Ben Bredesen, the left guard. It's going to be the fourth straight week where they have like a new left, where they have a new left guard. He injured his hand. They, they signed Wes Martin. Uh, they're going to have uh, Martin Skura. It's, it's a mess. Like the, this, the offense is going to be supremely limited. The New Orleans Saints, I think the, their offense is limited with Jameis Winston, but they have a good offensive line, which means the Giants are not going to be able to generate a pass rush. Therefore, you're going to have receivers wide open. Alvin Kamara is probably going to have a field day. Without Blake Martinez, the Giants aren't going to be able to stop the run as effectively. This is going to be ugly. I, I do not see a New York Giant win. I don't see a New York Giant win for a very long time. It's time for the Maris to blow it up. I've talked about this at length. I'm probably going to be basically just reiterating the same tune every week. Uh, it is very frustrating, but that is what it is. In terms of other games of interest, looking through the schedule right now, uh, I like the Cardinals at Rams game at 4 o'clock as well as you have the, the all the NFC West, which to me is one of the best divisions, are matching up with one another. Cardinals are traveling traveling to the L.A. Rams. Then Seattle is going to San Francisco. Baltimore is going to Denver. I think that's a good game. Then the obviously everybody wants to talk about the Sunday night game. Tom Brady returning to New England for the first time, as well as he – he is 68 yards shy of the all-time NFL passing yardage record, which currently is held by Drew Brees. So, I mean, talk about sweet revenge. You have all these reports now regarding the relationship, the deteriorating relationship of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Uh, it sounds like Brady wanted to get out of New England as early as 2017. Uh, look, I, I, I look, I understand this. I just... 
I, I respect Tom Brady. You know, we all, I think, grow annoyed at him. I And I respect Bill Belichick, and I respect what the Patriots did. I know there were questionable things that they did, but, you know, I think to quote Tito Ortiz, and I don't like to do that often, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Uh, so I, I just think this is incredibly hype. I don't think the game is going to be very entertaining, although I do think if I was Bill Belichick, you know, I would say, look, um, Tom Brady's going to obviously uh, break the record, right? He's going to pet. He's going to throw for sixty nine yards Sunday night. But I would say, look, you're not. Tampa Bay is not going to beat us in the air. I would drop. I would rush three and you know drop eight almost for every game, um, every play, and, and have Tampa's running game, which by the way is struggling mightily, uh, beat you. New England is not playing particularly well. Max Jones has started hitting the wall, as are the rest of the rookies. I, I'm not looking forward to the game itself, and, and it's just I think that the story itself is overblown. I mean, I, I believe they had the Today Show and Good Morning America being broadcast from Gillette Stadium, and uh, it's, it's just so much. And I'm, I like, I'm like, wow, this is a great story, but it, it this is just taking it to a whole new level. I'm actually more excited for Monday night's game, which is. The undefeated Las Vegas Raiders are traveling to Los Angeles to take on the 2-1 and L.A. Chargers. So this is going to be the first time that SoFi Stadium does the quick turnaround. The Rams have a home game at 4 o'clock on Sunday, and then the Chargers are also going to be playing at SoFi Monday night. I'm really looking forward to that game. Going to the college uh, ranks now, uh, Mike and I, our beloved Rucker Scarlet Knights, are going to be hosting this team, I think, I think they're the Buckeyes of Ohio. Yeah, that's right. The Ohio State Buckeyes number. I believe they're number 11. It, it, look, it, it's a very tall order. Um, I think Rutgers played very well and, and had a very admirable effort against Michigan. Couldn't quite get it over the top. I, I, you know, I'm hopeful that they at least keep it competitive. And who knows? You never know in college football. Maybe there's a little bit of magic. I don't think this is the best Ohio State team. I think that their defense is is I'm not going to call it suspect. That that would be a you know a real slight, which is not accurate. I would say that their defense is not as dominant as years past. They obviously have a tremendously talented offense. But with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, two uh, you know locks to be first round picks this upcoming draft, and that's going to be tough for Rutgers to defend against. But if they can show, you know, resolve, if they can be competitive, hopefully they will earn the interest of the tremendous list of recruits that appear to be uh, traveling to come visit this game. It's a really interesting slate of games. Aside from the Rutgers game this uh, this week, we have. To me, probably the best game of the of the week is Arkansas at Georgia, which is at noontime on ESPN. Ole Miss is point, traveling to Alabama at three. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, I think that's really, um, I think that could almost be Alabama's most difficult struggle. We saw last year how uh, Alabama really had problems and, and could not stop Ole Miss, and I think Ole Miss's offense is firing on an even more powerful cylinder this year although it is in Tuscaloosa this year. So that's a huge benefit. And Cincinnati, Notre Dame, another top 10 matchup is going on. And to me, again, I, I know I've been saying this every week. My biggest frustration is that the timing of these games, why isn't Arkansas and Georgia the night game? 
the ABC 7 p.m. game, 7.30 or 8 p.m. game is supposed to be the key game of the week. And instead, the key game of the week is now at noon. We have, and I'm not saying this because I don't like Penn State, the Saturday night game is Indiana at Penn State. Penn State is a fantastic team who may very well end up winning the Big Ten and ending up in the college football playoffs, and to their credit. Indiana is very underwhelming this year. They're very disappointing. It's not all, I just listed all these fantastic matchups. In addition to, there's another ranked matchup. I believe it's Baylor traveling to Oklahoma State. You couldn't you couldn't rearrange a schedule to have one of them as the Saturday night game. I, me, I just don't understand that, and it, to me, it's just such a waste. You're devaluing that time slot, which was supposed to be kind of like the Sunday night NFL game, really important. So I just don't understand that. Frustrating. I guess this is just something I'm going to have to bitch and moan about uh, each week, but. You know, either way, it is a great slate of games throughout the whole day. And then I believe also you have UCLA, Arizona State, and Pac-12, you know, after midnight football, as well as I believe on CBS Sports Network at 11 p.m. East Coast time, you have Fresno State and Hawaii. Fresno State is ranked 18th, so, you know, some really good late-night football, which I'm always a fan of. So with that said, I hope everyone has enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for bearing with me. Uh, the doc will be back next week at some point in the very near future, maybe even next week. We're going to try to get the hired gun on. We always love having his insight into all things combat sports. Thank you again for all of your continued support. Uh, thank you to Tommy Bryce over at Sp- uh, Sportswire uh, Radio. Thrilled to be part- partners with them and sportstalkphilly.com. Check out Michael's Glass Company, 215 338 3293. Check out the Paul's Table for a fantastic dining experience, 7 East Lancaster Avenue, Ardmore, Pennsylvania. I hope everyone has a happy, healthy, and safe weekend. Please take care.